It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. It's a dumb again. Uh, two years of battle, uh, court battles to finally testify. So uh, hopefully it won't take that long. Christina, let me turn to you here because one thing that I think has been a lot, a bit frustrating uh, with the American public is why exactly does this committee have to be so bipartisan? You know, it's like if you were prosecuting uh, Dave Koresh, you're not ever thinking, oh, we should get the Branch Davidians on the committee too, so to get their perspective. Um, what do you think the intention of having a bipartisan committee is? I'm going to interrupt just because I have uh, important things to say, and we don't need to listen to people who have unimportant things to say. That was Tiffany Cross. Uh, Why would we want uh, Republicans on that committee on January 6th? Why would we even invite them? Would we invite the Branch Davidians on a hearing about the Branch Davidians? So now Republican members of Congress, Jim Jordan and Jim Banks from Indiana, Iraqi veteran, Jim Jordan, you know, all-American wrestler— uh, those guys are like Branch Davidians. They're like, you know, they're just as guilty as those people on January 6th that went into the Capitol and did all those horrible things. Why would we want them on the committee? The the, the breakdown in logic and rationale, uh, rational thinking, is just uh, amazing to me. So that's how they started it. And that reminds me then that I want to tell you that today uh, Congressman Gohmert is leading the charge Uh, There is a group of congressmen. I've been talking to you about this. Um, They're going to go to the Justice Department this afternoon at 1 o'clock and hold a press conference. They're going to the Justice Department to demand information about what's happening with these prisoners held in detention in the D.C. jail. Uh, 1 o'clock today is uh, Eastern Standard Time is the press conference. So you'll want to watch One America News or... Uh, you know, or Newsmax, hopefully, uh, uh, to to get the coverage of that. Matt Gates is joining him along with Paul Gosar, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I'm not who, sure who else. I've asked you to call your congresspersons and uh, and and ask them to join uh, Congressman Gomert in this. And actually, I was talking to a good friend of mine who's a who's a wonderful activist. She she makes these phone calls and she really takes her citizenship cl- uh, seriously. And I I was just musing with her that perhaps the question is this. When you call your congressional office, uh, rather than deliver a message, ask them, could you please tell me what Congressman X is doing about the January 6th detainees, the ones that are being uh, tortured in their prisons, uh, being held in pre-detention under horrible circumstances with no you know, a solitary confinement. What, What is your congressman, what is my congressman doing about that? Could you just get back to me on that? What, what is he doing to help them? Um, and, of course, you'll want to equip yourself a little bit. Maybe I would say, you know, think of one thing to, to relate, something simple, better than I just did it because I hadn't thought about it very well. But uh, do you understand they're being held in, uh, without, in an illegal way? They're being held in solitary confinement. Some are being beaten. What, what is uh, my congressman doing about that? 
Well, you know, one thing he could do is join uh, Louis Gohmert at the Justice Department today at 1 o'clock for the press conference. He could also join Congressman Gohmert and these others at the jail on Thursday. So that's what's coming up next. Okay, so um, I want to read to you a part of the statement that they sent to the Justice Department to uh, Merrick, excuse me, Attorney General Merrick, because I want you to hear their words. I just, it's worth letting you hear this. So they're asking why federal law enforcement authorities were warned weeks before the riot, yet members of Congress were not told. Uh, And evidence has since accumulated. The Capitol Police were not properly informed or prepared by their leadership. So um, they request a meeting to discuss unanswered questions relating to the treatment of January 6th prisoners. By the way, they heard nothing back from Merrick Garland. Um, no, No response from the Attorney General. The same silence has greeted their repeated questions and requests about the situation for several months. Due to reports of civil rights violations against American citizens during investigations, prosecutions, and even conditions at the D.C. Central Detention Facility, where some are being held, members of Congress have been asking for answers for months, only to be ignored by DOJ, leadership of the Capitol Police, and the U.S. Bureau of Prisons. This is a statement that Congressman Gohmert released. This should chill every American. One would expect to see abuses of political prisoners in tyrannical third-world countries, not the United States. But we don't know what of these claims are true because this administration refuses to answer basic questions and give accountability for what appear to be their vengeful actions. We have requested a meeting with the Attorney General since our previous request to assess conditions at the D.C. jail has been ignored. Everyone in this country should be concerned when matters as serious as this are politicized to the point where the rule of law and accountability is ignored. Um, the statement is so good. I could read the whole thing to you. I just um, He just talks about how every American citizen has a constitutional right to all the evidence before making any decision to go to trial, plead no contest, or plead guilty. And uh, they talk about, um, we have concerns about reports of the conditions in the prison where these detainees are being held and whether, in fact, there have been instances of abuse inflicted by other prisoners or guards. Uh, so um, I, there's... I've been talking to you about this every day, so I, I won't belabor that part. But this, this by the way, I'm reading from um, the Washington Examiner this morning. They did a great, no, the Epoch Times this morning did a great article on that. And we'll put that on our Facebook page. So here's what I told you yesterday. Uh, there is a way now for you to write the prisoners. And it's not just the prisoners, it's people that are being, it's the way they've been arrested and taken from their homes, the way they've been treated. Treated. Uh, the the abuse of power is just shocking, and that's the broader scope of what uh, these congressmen are. Why aren't they all lined up? Why aren't all of your congressmen there? Why aren't they all concerned? I think you should call them and ask them. The other thing I would suggest is that you call Congressman Gohmert's office, Congressman Getz, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and uh, Congressman Gosar, and thank them. They get precious little thanks. They get criticism. They get shunned. Uh, but uh, you could also, that would be a really good thing to do because it is discouraging sometimes for them. This is a terrible time uh, to be a man of principle or a woman of principle and serve in that particular body. All right, so I told you this yesterday, but let me repeat that you can write to the prisoners through what's now the Patriot Mail Project. You can find it online, Patriot Mail Project. It lists the names and addresses of the prisoners, it's, I don't think it's a complete uh, list yet, but they're adding more all the time. You can write to them, uh, and 
they and by the way, I told you yesterday, but I want to repeat uh, that they we have he- been hearing back that they they haven't gotten letters from you yet, but they ha- they know about the protests around the country. It's been very encouraging to them. And so, um, if you'd like to help, and I think I bet you would, Patriot Mail Project. Okay, so um, we'll put that again on our Facebook page again today. We'll do that. All right. Let's move to COVID because that's my second favorite conversation. Jen Saki had a few little pithy things to say yesterday. Let's listen. Given where we are today, and I think you've seen this, and those of you who have asked, we've confirmed this for, with the Delta variant, we will maintain existing travel restrictions at this point for a few reasons. The more transmissible Delta variant is spreading, both here and around the world. Driven by the Delta variant, cases are rising here at home, particularly among those who are unvaccinated and appear likely to continue in the weeks ahead. And to get to the other part of your question, the CDC just advised Americans against travel to the United Kingdom this past Monday, given the surge in cases. They will evaluate and make and make recommendations based on health data. All right. So the Delta variant, the Delta variant, the Delta variant. Let's talk about that just for a second. This is my uh, my my thin understanding of it because I haven't because I don't have the time to become an expert. But Michael uh, Daniel Horowitz has written an article called "Data from India Continues to Blow Up the Delta Fear Narrative." We will put that on our Facebook page, but let me give you the gist of it. Uh, Daniel says that according to the data, Delta comes from India, the Delta variant. Uh, it, uh, the, 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 what's happening in India is, uh, yes, a lot of people are getting, it's spreading uh, more widely, it seems that, but what's happened is that they're close to herd immunity now. Uh, they just have 3% of their people vaccinated, and uh, they've been testing, and people have immunity. And with the Delta variant, uh Actually, the symptoms appear to be not only in India but other countries. I think he mentioned Scotland. He mentions um, uh, England. I think I'll have to look a a little further in this, and I will. Uh, There's a much lower fatality rate, and for most people it's akin to a cold. So it is spreading faster. It seems to be it's just a a bit of a difference, but it's not making people – it's making people sick like a cold – but not uh, the the data does not show that it's causing widespread deaths. So when you hear things like uh, Florida has an outbreak right now, um, and uh, I don't know if there's been an, I don't know the the death toll. I don't know, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that pe- more people are dying or that exponential amounts of people are dying. Uh, I don't. Uh, it, according to what Daniel is writing here, it, uh, the data in Israel uh, shows that the country's had just 20 deaths so far in July. And 15 of them were vaccinated individuals. That's the other part. Uh, people that are vaccinated are, are getting COVID and they're getting sick and some are dying. I had a story yesterday of uh, uh, there was a quantifiable one of the states. Uh, there were a, a certain number of people that had uh, the vaccine and had died of COVID. Anyway, I just this is just so odd. Isn't it odd? So uh, Daniel writes this, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky is correct when she says nearly every death, especially among adults due to COVID, is at this time point entirely preventable. And then Daniel writes, but the data and learned experience show it's not because of lack of vaccines, but a lack of treatment. And I think that's true. We've talked enough about it, about ivermectin and all the other treatments that they won't uh, give. I, I want, There's one other article here that I just must share in the few minutes that I have, this is a powerful article. It's in City Journal, published, I think, yesterday. I'm not sure. It's published recently by John Tierney. 
So uh, hear me, if you will. He says the United States suffered through two lethal waves of contagion in the past year and a half. The first was a viral pandemic that killed about one in 500 Americans, typically a person over 75 suffering from other serious conditions. The second, and far more catastrophic, was a moral panic that swept the nation's guiding institutions. Instead of keeping calm and carrying on, the American elite flouted the norms of governance, journalism, academic freedom, and worst of all, science. They misled the public about the origins of the virus and the true risk that it posed. Ignoring their own carefully prepared plans for a pandemic, they claimed unprecedented powers to impose untested strategies with terrible collateral damage. As evidence of their mistakes mounted, they stifled debate about vilifying, by vilifying dissenters, censoring criticism, and suppressing scientific research. Uh, it seems, if, as seems increasingly plausible, the coronavirus that caused COVID-19 leaked out of the laboratory in Wuhan, it is the costliest blunder ever committed by scientists. Whatever the pandemic's origin, the response to it is the worst mistake in the history of the public health profession. We still have no convincing evidence that the lockdowns save lives, but lots of evidence that they have already cost lives and will provide deadlier in the long run than the virus itself. I'm going to go on till I hear the music. One in three people worldwide lost a job or a business during the lockdowns. And half saw their earnings drop, according to the Gallup poll. Children, never at risk from the virus in many places, essentially lost a year of school. The economic and health consequences were felt most acutely among the less affluent in America and in the rest of the world, where the World Bank estimates more than 100 million have been pushed into extreme poverty. The leaders responsible for these disasters continue to pretend that their policies worked and assume that they can keep fooling the public. They've promised to deploy these strategies again in the future, and they might even succeed in doing so, unless we begin to understand what went wrong. It's so good, and uh, it ends with a quote by Scott Atlas, who's one of my heroes in all of this. He says, The Fauci-Burks lockdowns were a sinful, unconscionable, heinous mistake, and they will never admit they were wrong. Neither will the journalists and politicians who panicked along with them. They're still portraying lockdowns as not just success, but also precedent. Proof that Americans can sacrifice for the common good when directed by wise scientists and benevolent autocrats. But the sacrifice did far more harm than good, and the burden was not shared equally. It turned out that they weren't so different from the aristocrats of the past. They were in it for themselves. That's just a part of it. It's called the Panic Pandemic. We'll put it on our Facebook page. Be right back. Hi, I'm Will. And I'm Miki. And we've been married... 16 years. You know, one of the things that Miki asked me before we got married, she's like, why do you want to marry me? What is it about about me? Really, the Lord had put on my heart that God was putting us together for destiny and for purpose and that he had a ministry that he desired to do through us that, you know, we were both ministering on our own, but together that God was going to, you know, use us to minister. There is no one who is closer to you than your spouse and there is no one who knows you better and this is by God's design. Marriage is the first institution that God has given us to to shape us and to mold us and to show us ourselves. It's a beautiful picture. Tune in to By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net. This is Pause to Pray. 
a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Brian Newland, Assistant Secretary of the Interior for Indian Affairs. His office implements federal laws and policies related to American Indians and Alaskan Natives. Isaiah 45:12 reminds us that the lands are God's creation. I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Brian Newland in his role at the Department of the Interior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. As you plan your summer college visits, add Liberty University to the list. With many visiting options to choose from, you're sure to find the right one to fit your schedule. Spend a few hours exploring campus with our student-led team at Tour LU, dig deeper and learn more about life at Liberty during Experience LU, or take your next steps towards becoming a student at Decide LU. Learn more and register today by texting VISIT to 49596. Again, that's VISIT to 49596. See you this summer. You can add bird watching to the latest list of all things racist and symbolic of white supremacy. The Washington Post published an expansive report on the racist legacy of the Audubon Society and the birding community at large. They say some birds are named after former slave owners and white supremacists. Corinna Newsom is a black ornithologist, and her life's mission is to break down racial barriers and defeat racism in the birding community. The National Audubon Society is also facing the wrath of the cancel culture crowd ruffling feathers because the founder owned slaves. John James Audubon has been dead for 170 years, so it's unclear why this has suddenly become an issue. Miss Newsom says she was troubled because she once had to wear a work shirt that bore Audubon's name. You know, it sounds to me like the Audubon Society is dealing with an infestation of dodo birds, loons, and bird brains. I'm Todd Stearns. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Chinese officials say the reason the relationship between the U.S. and China is so frayed is because of how some in the U.S. view China. In a meeting with the U.S. Deputy Secretary of State, the vice foreign minister here said some in the U.S. are treating China as an imaginary enemy. These high-level talks took place in Tianjin. The U.S. State Department released a statement saying that the deputy secretary stressed to her Chinese counterparts that the U.S. wants stiff competition with China, not conflict, but pointed out areas of concern, including widespread allegations of human rights abuses being carried out in Xinjiang, cyber attacks against U.S. organizations, and a refusal by the Chinese to allow a second phase of WHO scientists to examine the origins of COVID-19 among many other issues. Now, the statement also pointed out places where the two countries might actually work together, including battling climate change. There's growing speculation that these high-level meetings, if productive, could yield a meeting of both countries' leaders, some suggesting Biden and Xi might meet face-to-face around the G20 in October. David Culver, CNN, Shanghai. I want to be there for that meeting. I would hear Joe Biden go up against uh, the Chinese uh, president. I, that would be interesting. Uh, this is not funny. I will tell you something. I will tell you something else that's kind of amusing. 
because uh, before we start this very serious interaction with Frank Gaffney, um, yesterday the Chinese tweeted from their foreign ministry uh, to the U.S. that we need to set a good example and comply with international rules instead of breaking them. So uh, Ted Cruz responded to that, and he said he had a list of his own international rules for China, and they go like this. Don't murder people. Don't torture innocents. Don't force mothers to have abortions. Don't run concentration camps. Don't commit genocide against the Uyghurs. Don't cover up a pandemic that causes caused over 4 million deaths worldwide. So that was his response. I thought it was a good one, as usual, from Ted Cruz. But it's a serious, very serious situation. Even when I report this with you or talk to Gordon Chang, even as the words come out of my mouth, I almost feel like I'm like this is fantasy. It's just so hard to grasp what China is doing now, blatantly, before the world, certainly to us as their number one enemy and to the world itself, I want to talk to our next guest, who's also a great friend of mine, as you know. Frank is the founder of the Center for Security Policy, Frank Gaffney. He also heads right now the Committee on the Present Danger, China, and a new a part of that called the Captive Nations Coalition. And they are releasing a report today, China's Dream, the World's Nightmare, how the Chinese Communist Party is colonizing and enslaving the planet. Frank, good morning, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning, Sandy, and thank you for having me on. Uh, we actually released the report yesterday, but we're having a webinar about it this afternoon, and I'm very excited to have a chance to talk with you and your audience about it. Okay, let me just say that. Uh, the, uh, the the webinar explaining this is at 4.30 this afternoon, Eastern Standard Time, and we will put a link on our Facebook. They, they go to... Um, CaptiveNationsCoalition.com, is that right, to get, to, to get no, the link? No, just CaptiveNations.org is where okay. they should go. They can see the report there, and they can register for the webinar as well at 530, uh, uh, 4.30, rather, to 5.30 Eastern Daylight Time, I think, technically. Okay. Right. Uh, no. Eastern Time okay. is sufficient for our purposes, of course. Okay, good. All right. Well, so what's this all about, Frank? I, I, first, of all, first of all, you this the sub coalition uh, called Captive Nations Coalition. Explain that. That sounds like you know we think sure. of Canada and First Nations and all that, but that's not what you're talking about. No, no. This is actually a term that was used during the Cold War to describe the various uh, nations that had been enslaved, really, by the Soviet Communist Party. And, uh, of course, my old boss, uh, Ronald Reagan, made the illegitimacy of the regime that was doing that to so many, uh, the evil empire, as he called it, a centerpiece of his strategy for kicking down the Chinese, uh, excuse me, the, the Soviet Union and the Communist Party that misruled it. Um, we believe, and the Committee on the Present Danger, China, a similar effort is needed now, especially because what the Chinese have done to enslave nations and what they are working on doing now to add many, many more to those that are captive nations um, makes what the Soviets did in their heyday pale by comparison. Uh, to give you an example, there, there are currently, we believe, five captive nations under the Chinese Communist Party, China itself, and then Tibet and southern Mongolia 
and uh, a region called East Turkestan, historically. The Chinese insist on calling it Xinjiang. And then there's a territory that has just been added to the captive nations, um, namely Hong Kong. But the thing is, Sandy, that this study, China's Dream, the World's Nightmare, describes what the Chinese are very far along in doing to enslave as many as 140 other countries around the world um, that are basically now either already fully committed to and undergoing all of the negative effects of Chinese colonization because they've signed on to something that Xi Jinping, the dictator of China, calls um, the Belt and Road Initiative. Or they're in the process of succumbing to the uh, various uh, inducements to sign on to the BRI, as it's known, Um, whether those are uh, what I think of as debt trap loans, uh, whereby, you know, somebody gets uh, hooked up with, like, payday <laughs> loans, um, an arrangement they can't possibly sustain uh, financially because of the, you know, crushing interest rates associated with it. And therefore, they get set up to lose the assets, whether it's the infrastructure the Chinese are building or um, natural resources uh, or their sovereignty, even, in some cases. Um, And then in the process, what the Chinese are doing, as we document in this report, uh, is essentially establishing a kind of imperial realm in which they not only have enormous influence, uh, they have privileged access to markets, privileged access to natural resources, and building out infrastructure, Sandy, not least, that can be used by the People's Liberation Army to project power as well as, you know, make uh, commercial inroads. So for all these reasons, we believe this Belt and Road Initiative is very, very ominous indeed, and there are steps that we can and should take to try to um, derail it. But uh, why don't we talk about that, those steps in just a second, uh, Frank. But let's, you know, when you use the word enslaved, I, you know, I just think, well, we conjure up, you know, old images of slavery, or capturing people, we think of uh, like a hand-to-hand combat or some sort of force. But what you're describing is much more subtle and much more dangerous, and that is uh, economic enslavement. And I don't think people actually can't, I think most people can understand that. When they get into tremendous debt, they become enslaved to the debtor. And that's certainly what China has done here. And I want to get to our relationship with them in just a second. But c- could you give us a, an illustration of one of the countries? where the Belt and Road Initiative or these this debt trap financing and those kinds of uh, strategies have really ha- taken a grip and people and a country has either lost its sovereignty or come close to it? Where, where are some of those nations that you can mention? Well, we profile 17 of them, Sandy, and, and they're really all over the world. And that was part of the reason for this study is to demonstrate, again, just how far advanced um, this takedown of the world is. And and again, as you know, and you talk with uh, Gordon Chang, as I do regularly and, and have many other resources too, but you, you appreciate that, that what this dictator Xi Jinping has done is to essentially make plain 
his dream, which is China, once again, being the dominant power in the world, the, the middle kingdom, as they call it, the center of the universe. And in so doing, um, you know, uh, this Belt and Road Initiative is really part and parcel of how that can be pulled off. And uh, and there are myriad uh, examples, as I say, of uh, of nations that fall into this category of incipient captive nations. Um, one that you know comes to mind particularly is uh, the nation of Sri Lanka, which has been um, essentially undermined to the point where it has had its port, which the Chinese helped build out. Is seized essentially, um, taken over, foreclosed on, if you will, by the Chinese, which gives them, of course, a, a base in the Indian Ocean um, that they can exploit uh, at will. I'm quite sure with the People's Liberation Army Navy, um, Djibouti is a is another very strategic place uh, which has a tremendous percentage. I think it's something like seventy percentage, seventy uh, percent of its gross domestic product is essentially what they owe the Chinese. Um, and it goes on. I mean, countries in Europe, Italy, for example, yeah. and Greece, Italy, uh, yes. countries in our own <sighs> hemisphere, um, yep. and, and not just Cuba, of course, which has been over the side for a long time. But um, throughout the region, you see uh, Huawei building digital infrastructure, uh, which the Chinese use, of course, to collect intelligence as well as to uh, exercise measures of control. Which and we then should... there's the physical infrastructure as well. Frank, just let me jump in and remind people sure. that President Trump fought that after he was informed about what Huawei was up to in terms of uh, owning 5G and controlling 5G, uh, he, he stopped it. And uh, now it's back in play. And uh, so th- this is just, and that's one big piece of the puzzle of them controlling the, the globe. Um, I want to just interject a, a news story related to uh, Hong Kong, of course, is not a country. It's a territory or had been an independent territory. Uh, they, they actually convicted the first uh, student protester, 24, uh, just I think yesterday or the day before. And what they did in Hong Kong, just to make it very quick, is that they suspended the laws of Hong Kong came over and passed this uh, national security law, and they did not even allow him to have a jury. Uh, he was convicted of a, you know, a panel of uh, hand-picked persons, and now he's facing possibly life imprisonment. That is, uh, that's the kind of treatment that they give to, uh, you know, this is the kind of dominance that they're looking for. Okay, so Frank, back to us. Are we, how, where are we? Uh, are the countries actually accepting the Belt and Road Initiative by its name, signing on a dotted line, yes, we are going to enter into this with you. Have they done that? Many of them have, yes, Sandy. And and some are still negotiating. And some, like Canada, have uh, simply begun to succumb to many of the same uh, practices by the Chinese, though they haven't formally embraced this. I mean, one of the things I'm sure you covered uh, last year, uh, I believe it was, when uh, we were told that the, the Canadian government was going to allow the People's Liberation Army to engage in winter training in Canada, for heaven's sakes. And this was a this was yes, a I tell, remember that. As they say yes. in the intelligence business, that's a problem. But more generally, what they've been doing there and here, Sandy, uh, and you know, I think maybe our next report is going to be on the United States as a captive nation, because yeah. what we're watching 
the Chinese do with their money and uh, their investments uh, and acquisitions, uh, their uh, their uh, uh, contributions to uh, uh, political candidates and campaigns through various cutouts, and the like is is this incredibly comprehensive influence operation. And I was very heartened that the Trafalgar Group has just a very, very impressive and uh, highly accurate polling group, as you know, has recently done a poll that indicates that I think it's 81% of Americans polled by them uh, were concerned about China, with over 50% very concerned about its influence on our government, in our media, and in our culture. And Most Americans are absolutely right to be concerned, and it's just a reminder that um, the whole world is being targeted by the Chinese Communist Party, Uh, some formally through this Belt and Road Initiative, some not. Some um, are fully, I think, in the process of being enslaved. Some, uh, it's still in prospect, but we hope with this study at at captivenations.org, We can raise an alarm about what's going on, and we can begin a serious conversation in our own country about what we can do about it to try to prevent this from running its full course and resulting in this, you know, historically unprecedented colonial domination of the planet by a dangerous regime like China. Which they are openly discussing. That's the that's the new thing. Openly discussing. You know, the object. I, I I was ta- I was talking with Gordon at CPAC in Dallas and uh, Gordon Chang, and um, I was reflecting to him, Frank, about how Bill Gertz has been warning about this since the '90s. I when I used to interview him on the radio in the '90s, and you too, by the way. Um, um, Bill would talk about how the military had plans to, you know, dominate and overtake America, and we were in that friendly little trade place, you know, free trade place with China. And we could, it was almost like fantasy. I knew Bill was not a liar, uh, but it just seemed so so disconnected from reality. But now the Chinese president is actually saying China wants to dominate the world. He's not. He's all the gloves are off, and that's exactly what they're saying. So for you, yes, sir. Just very quickly, the reason that it seemed disconnected from reality back in the 90s was that Deng Xiaoping, who was Xi Jinping's predecessor at the time as General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party, had what he called a hide-and-bide strategy. That means that they were purposely pursuing, through deception, opportunities for penetration and exploitation and subversion in this country and elsewhere around the world. But they were going to conceal their true intentions. The mask has now slipped. Uh, Xi Jinping believes that China is now powerful enough that it can actually be brazen about what it is aspiring to do and how far advanced it is towards that purpose. And that's why, you know, doing this documentation, while it was time consuming and a little painful, it, it nonetheless was relatively easy because this is all out there now. And Bill Gertz has been vindicated, I think, and uh, yes. to his great credit, um, his warnings, had they been heeded back in the day, might have staved off some of the real peril we're in at the moment. Yep, I, I agree with you, Frank. 
Uh, okay, so you have the webinar coming up today at 4.30, uh, and to, to since you corrected me, Eastern Daylight Time. So <laughs> 4.30, Eastern Daylight Time. And uh, But uh, if people tune into this, what will they hear? I mean, who will they hear, and what, what, what will this be like for them? Well, there will be several of the authors of this report. I'll be moderating the panel. Um, two of uh, my close colleagues, uh, Didi Logerson, who is our executive secretary of the Committee on the Present Danger of China, Sehun Kim, who heads up this Captive Nations Coalition for us, will be speaking. And then we'll have a, a woman representing the Uyghur uh, community. Uh, we will have um, a former legislator from Hong Kong, and we will have a representative of the uh, nations now being enslaved, a marvelous uh, pastor from Nigeria, talking about what is happening in his country and in his continent, and uh, and indeed to all these countries that are now in the process of becoming captive nations. It's going to be a very powerful uh, presentation, I think, and I commend to people both um, at CaptiveNations.org, uh, this study, China Dream, China's Dream, the World's Nightmare, and uh, if they can join us, uh, register there for the webinar at 4.30 this afternoon Eastern Time. Okay, again, it's CaptiveNations.org. We put this on our Facebook page, but I never trust Facebook, so I, I, I've been telling people, Frank, to bring paper and pencil when they're listening to the show, because uh, while they can still get information, uh, they need to write it down directly, because uh, we're in the process of being shut off completely on social media. Everybody knows that. Yes. So it's time to do yes, the old-fashioned thing of writing things down. And in this, uh, we'll, they'll also link to this poll, the Trafalgar poll that uh, Frank mentioned, you know, uh, Frank, I, we have worked hard, um, you have worked hard, and I've tried to help you, but I haven't worked hard, but you have worked hard on this. The Confucius Institutes, along with our friends at the National Association for Scholar, of Scholars, we actually managed to, uh, that was the, 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 the red Chinese presence on colleges and universities around the country in such unexpected places. Do you think that we knocked that out? I mean, is that still in existence, or has that been eradicated? Those been eradicated. Well, it was a, a very important effort, uh, and I want to give particular credit, as you say, to the National Association of Scholars, uh, Sandy, and, and to everybody who has helped amplify their important work on this. Some of the Confucius Institutes, which are essentially you know, vehicles whereby those Chinese influence operations are foisted upon um, college campuses and, and their students and professors, by the way, as well as their administrators. Uh, there's money in it for the colleges, um, but in the process, they wind up ceding a lot of um, authority to uh, Chinese influence operators who will tell them what they can have on the campus, what they can uh, learn from in terms of speakers, what they can uh, use in the way of curricula and professors. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, really frightening. There's, of course, no such arrangement for Americans um, in Chinese colleges, needless <laughs> to say. Really? But I think really? there's still quite a number, maybe over 100 of these institutes still operating on college campuses mm -hmm. despite efforts to uh, right. discourage they pay because they pay the quickly. These, yeah, quickly, please. The curricula, the Confucius Institute curricula is being used in K-12 education in this country, okay. too. Yeah, because uh, show me the money. They're paying. This is what they do. They, they, the money that they made off of us through free trade. That's Indeed. the part that uh, makes you laugh sardonically. Okay, so captivenations.org is where you can go to get this report, China's Dream, the World's Nightmare, and also to sign up for the webinar this afternoon at... 4.30 Eastern Daylight Time. Frank Gaffney said, oh, Frank, what time's your show? 10 o'clock 
Central? Uh, 10, 10 Central, uh, 11 o'clock Eastern, and so on. Uh, okay, yes, 10 we do both. Freedom Radio every weeknight on this very network, and we're so appreciative. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here are some of our core values. AFA aims to evangelize the lost and disciple the believer. AFA aims to strengthen biblical marriages and equip parents to raise godly children. Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Friday edition of Washington Watch, last week... No more tolerance for abusive actions by monopolies. But is it really just another power grab by the federal government? Parents are not happy with classroom indoctrination and the radical policies they're pushing. Washington Watch, weekday afternoons at 4 Central and Saturday evenings at 6 Central on American Family Radio. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. With this statement, Jesus affirmed what he'd already said in Genesis 1 and 2 and defined marriage for all time. Contrary to the protestations of the nouveau critical theorists, The nuclear family consisting of a married father and mother is not a Western sociological prescription or construct. Marriage did not originate in the West. Its origin isn't suburban America. It started in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. Marriage is God's idea. Therefore, he alone defines it. If you don't like it, your problem is with God, not me. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. You know, if you feel like you're stuck with a health care plan that isn't affordable or you simply don't like it, right now is a great time to switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 a month when they join MediShare. And what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to the typical health insurance plan. That's double. So you get a massive network of providers to choose from. You get telehealth services. And MediShare is the most trusted name in healthcare sharing. It's been around for more than 25 years, shared more than $4 billion in healthcare bills. Here's why now really is the time to make the switch, too. You can start saving each month, which is huge, but right now they'll waive your joining fee. So you'll save another $170 right off the bat. But again, it's a limited time offer. You got to call now. And it only takes two minutes to find out how much you'd save by switching. Here's the number, 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE, 833-44-BIBLE. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. It's been said that conservatives are liberals who have been mugged by reality. Today, millions of Americans of all political stripes have undergone a similar transformation in the wake of the pandemic spawned when the Chinese Communist Party mugged us and the world with its deadly engineered virus. A new study by our Committee on the Present Danger China documents that far from a purportedly benign trading partner, the CCP is our mortal enemy. Entitled China's Dream, the world's nightmare. This report exposes the ominous progress Beijing's colonial Belt and Road Initiative is making towards dominating and ultimately
currently enslaving at least 140 nations all over the planet. Read the report at CaptiveNations.org, then watch our webinar from 4.30 to 5.30 Eastern Time today, which will discuss the implications of this totalitarian imperial program and what we must do to defeat it. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. You know, honestly, I would wish we could have some more security on hand. I think there needs to be more police. I think SFPD has to hire more people. Security police, the whole, the whole shebang. Here in San Francisco, we know that we've had uh, staffing shortages. We're about 400 officers below where we should be. We are in a tough place right now as far as how police are looked at. And uh, uh, with understanding that people's fears and frustrations of seeing certain images can evoke certain messages like defund the police, I think we're in a place where we need to reinvent the police or reinvent the image of police. The law enforcement, the police are actually wonderful. Their hands are tied. That's what's going on out here. We have to enforce the current laws that we have. There's a threshold of $950 that needs to be met in order for uh, a misdemeanor to turn into a felony when it comes to theft. They say $950 and I'm breaking in. They are breaking in $950. One car, two car, three car, four car, five cars. They need to change the law. Maybe being able to actually apprehend a, a, a shoplifter, but that's that's really just like more of a safety issue than anything else for, for employees. They need to uh, prosecute them and, and make uh, stricter uh, punishments for these people because they're doing it in broad daylight and they just don't care. They're not being stopped. There's nothing happening to them. Now, this is not a big priority uh, that, that's made it down the line for them, which needs to be a big priority and it needs to be stopped because everybody's being violated. Our biggest priorities are violent crimes, uh, incidents that involve people being shot, uh, and everything in between to just the petty thefts. There's going to be always shoplifting, but to prevent it, it just people have to be more secure of their merchandise and make sure to keep a closer eye. Maybe we're in the wrong business. We should get into breaking the car business. That's what's so sad about what's going on here. Yeah, well, that's a group of people, just a montage of people in California, Northern California, and their opinion about how the police are handling crime in Northern California. And that you had one, I think it was the police chief, is just so uh, tepid, just weak. And, you know, if if they're not stealing more than $950 worth of stuff, they just let them do it. Do you understand that? They're just... People are just walking into stores and in the daylight and daytime and just brazenly carrying out merchandise. And the no people that own the businesses can do nothing because they're not going to prosecute people that steal things under $950. So ironically, Senator Barbara Boxer, some of you may not remember her. She's a, she's a sister-in-law to Nancy Pelosi. And she's a clone of Nancy Pelosi in the sense that she's a, a beautiful, privileged, wealthy woman. Uh, who was uh, a nightmare for those of us that like law and order and justice and truth when she served in the Senate. Uh, She was a rabid leftist along with her sister-in-law. Interestingly enough, she was attacked and robbed uh, in Northern California uh, in the last few days. I don't know if it was yesterday 
but uh, she's been attacked and robbed. I'm not, it doesn't, I'm not telling you that because I'm somehow happy that she's been attacked and robbed. It's just perhaps uh, some of these politicians and former politicians uh, who are insulated from this problem or from the problems that they are causing, uh, maybe it's time for them to feel a bit of the burn and feel differently, let their experiences. I always say, you know, truth is what is what you actually see, taste, feel. It's what, truth is what comports with reality. Uh, people can say all kinds of words and they can sound true, but if it doesn't comport with reality, it's not true. Like men cannot be women and women cannot be men. And you can say that and intellectually uh, debate it all you want, but it just doesn't happen. It happens artificially, but it never really happens because men never really become women and women never really become men. Okay, so... Um, Interestingly enough, Fox did a report yesterday, and you perhaps heard about this a bit, uh, that, um, well, you know what? Rather than say what she's going to say, let's listen to Linda, uh, Lydia Hugh reporting clip one. We're talking about 25 cities across the country that have either proposed to defund the police or have already made moves to do so. 20 of those cities are also spending money on private protection for elected officials, and sometimes it's costing taxpayers millions of dollars. Now, these are findings from an investigation by an organization called Open the Books. They're a nonprofit that tracks government spending, and it comes as crime is spiking across the country. We can take Chicago as an example. There, the city cut four. 400 police officer positions last year, while meanwhile they spent $3.4 million on private security for, quote, unnamed city officials. Now, their shootings are up 10% over a year ago. Another example, San Francisco, officials plan to divest $120 million from police over two years, while they spent $2.6 million last year on the mayor's security detail. Assaults in the city are up 4.8% give you one other example, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, eliminated about $22 million from its police budget as the city spent $3.6 million on private security for various officials and their homicides up 4.4% over a year ago. Now, Democratic Missouri Congresswoman Cori Bush is now being criticized for her spending to fortify her own personal security while continuing to call to defund the police. I understand full well why members of Congress spend money on their personal safety. I just don't understand why some members of Congress don't feel the same way about your safety. If their safety is the highest priority, shouldn't your safety be too? And now the work to learn about municipal spending on private security is okay, ongoing. That's enough. I just, the, the point is that, that not, you know, uh, Trey Gowdy weighed in there. That, that, that it's not only congressmen, it's mayors too. They're spending inordinate amounts of money on their national, on their own, their national security. I guess to them it's that big. Uh, their personal security. Lori Lightfoot comes to mind. She was assigning all of these policemen to her house to guard her neighborhood and her block while all hell was breaking loose in Chicago. This is the kind of people that are leading that we've elected. And so um, in D.C., which is not one of those top cities in terms of population, uh, there was a shooting at a restaurant not far from the White House. I don't know if the person was killed or not, but a DC, the D.C. police chief, uh, it just in broad daylight, someone just shot someone in a really nice restaurant near the White House. That's a big deal. So the D.C. police chief went out in the streets, and Adam, this is a clip from yesterday, and it's clip 13. Let's, let's listen to what he had to say. You cannot coddle violent criminals. You cannot. 
You cannot treat violent criminals who are out here making communities unsafe for you, for your loved ones, for me, for my loved ones. They might not want a job. They might not. They might not need services. What they may require is to be off of our streets because they're making it unsafe for us. And if that's what it requires, then that's what it requires. And we have to own that. We have to own it because if not, we see more of this. We see more of this in our communities. And then what happens? When someone's shot, you know, people are outraged by it. I'm outraged every time. Every of those 922, a lot of those 198 that died of that, I stood over many of those. Many of them watching families suffer when they don't have to because we're putting violent criminals or allowing them to be back out in community. That's unacceptable. So what do we do about it? We have honest conversations with the people. That's uh, the D.C. police chief. I do hear the, just the angst. Can you just think about what we're putting policemen through besides the danger to their lives? Uh, it's it's like it's a war in our streets in Chicago. Uh, yesterday, the police superintendent David Brown made a public statement. Uh, he there's 12 dead and 70 shot across Chicago over the weekend. And he said, "What we can do differently is challenge the courts to render Chicago safe, holding offenders in jail longer, not releasing murderers back into our community. That's what we can do different." Okay, so here's what's happening. In case you haven't, in case you've missed this. We have a, 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 a dual thing. We have this move to defund the police, and then we have this uh, hand-selected group of uh, uh, prosecutors around the country chosen by George Soros, our, you know, the, the person who hates the West, who hates this country, who spent millions, probably billions of dollars trying to destroy this country. He's just given a million, million dollars to a group that wants to defund the police. He wants to defund more police, but he's also the one behind these prosecutors like Kim Fox in Chicago and the, the goofy guy in San Francisco. Uh, he's getting it at both ends. He is America's enemy. I don't understand why no one in Congress has ever gone after him. I don't understand that. Uh, but that's the situation we find ourselves in. It's wrong, and we continue to fight and push back and pray that God will bring real justice to our world. Sandy Brios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.